And today's reading is Luke 18 from 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some of to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Well, hey, good morning. Good to be with you. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Nate. I serve as a pastor here, and um, yeah, it's just great to be with you. So uh, David Powell, he's a, he's a professor at the Trinity Divinity School. He shared the story uh, not too long ago. He and his wife live in a condo area, and he realized that around him there were some people that were much larger than him that were living there, and he began to find out actually that around him were some Chicago Bear players. Um, and he wasn't a football guy at all. He didn't know their names. I mean, he just, he's just a normal dude. But one day, he began to notice that one of these players was driving a different car. And then he noticed that they, this person had different friends. And then he also noticed that he had a different girlfriend. And then he began to realize that this Chicago Bear player was actually going to be moving away to a different place to live. In other words, his entire life had changed in a matter of just a few weeks. And as he began to understand what happened, David found out that this player had just signed a $10 million contract. Everything in his life changed. And what's remarkable, he hadn't even received a penny of it yet. But he had the contract. And David Powell makes this statement. He makes this illustration to point out that there's something about the biblical hope that that story points to. In other words, there's something about what the scriptures teach that changes the present moment. And David puts it this way, biblical hope is a present reality living in light of the future that affects every part of your life. And as we kind of journey over the next six to seven weeks, this Sunday all the way through May, we're going to be exploring this theme of hope. The theme of what happens when we think about this week, the, the center of the story of the Christian faith, this, this news about Jesus' life, the news about his death, and the news about his resurrection, how that provides hope. And so next week on Easter, we're going to be looking at how Jesus' resurrection provides hope for those who suffer. Um, the weeks following, we're going to look at how Jesus' Um, resurrection provides hope for a new way to be human. It actually changes us from the inside out. And this morning we're looking at how Jesus' life, death, and resurrection provides hope for sinners. And we think about this morning uh, three things Jesus shows us in this parable. He shows us the heart of sin, the symptom of sin, and then lastly, the antidote to sin. So let me pray and we'll get right in. Father, uh, as we approach this text this morning, pray in the best way possible that you would disrupt us. Pray as only you can do, uh, you would comfort us. 
and that we might understand this hope that you provided in your Son. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the heart of sin. You know, um, understanding this, this passage all comes down to understanding two words. In verses 9 and verse 14, uh, there are two words, righteous and justified. In verse 9, we read that there were some Pharisees who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And verse 14 says, uh, when it says, this man went down to his house justified. And we don't use those words a lot. In fact, we may not even first see how they're related. But these two words have the same root word in the original language. And the basic underlying meaning of those words is simply this. It's one of being put right or being accepted. So Jesus' entire story is framed around this, about how a person is put right or accepted in relationship to God. And Jesus' entire story is framed in two characters, uh, a Pharisee and a tax collector. Um, Some of you are familiar with this, some not, but the Pharisees, you could summarize them, they're the ones who keep all the rules. Uh, They were the religious professionals of the day. They knew the law. They taught the law. They even added rules to the law so they wouldn't even break the real law. They were the religious moralists of the day. They were the good guys. And then there's the tax collectors. Tax collectors, those were those that broke all the rules. They're the ones who actually in their day, to be a tax collector was to be a collaborator with the oppressor with the Roman government. They were a traitor to God's people. In fact, um, even related to that, the the tax collector, let's put it this way, because the Romans were worshipped other gods, for to be a tax collector meant you had to actually turn away from Yahweh to worship really Yahweh. And not only that, they also gouged. They, They overcharged. So they're a religious outcast, a moral outcast, a social outcast of the day. And here's what's interesting. Those two approaches to God are still at work today. The religious moralist, this is a person who lives with a pursuit of conformity to some standard, oftentimes to the will of God above anything else, living in such a way to make them acceptable to God. And then there's the path of self-discovery in our day. This is the person who throws off all external restraints, says, I'm going to live how I want to live, regardless of what others tell me. Those are actually the two ways in which we see the world acting and relating to God today. And here's the conclusion that's stunning. This is the bombshell in that moment. The Pharisee, the good guy, the one who keeps all the rules, in the end, he's not put right with God. Who is? The tax collector. Either way, you are living today. This story is stunning. Um, It is a bombshell. It changes everything you thought you knew about yourself and everything you knew you thought about relating to God. And Jesus does it in a short story. What's what's going on? What's the problem? And, And the key to understanding is to understand the heart of sin what it is. In verse 9, when Jesus is describing those he's talking to, 
He says they trusted in themselves. And this trust in self is illustrated by the prayer of the Pharisees. Let's look at this a second. Look at verses 11 and 12. He says this, The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, give tithes of all that I get. The Pharisee is praying his religious resume. He's moral. He does what's right. He's spiritually disciplined. Uh, He tithes. He gives 10% of everything. Uh, To put it point blank, if this person was in a membership class at Redeemer City, we'd look on the outside and say, yeah, please join. This is great. But there's something going on underneath the surface. Something's not right. You know, let me put it this way. Some of you, you're working towards college. Or some of you remember going towards college, right? And you do your best in high school to get really good grades. In fact, you know what you also do? You start to think about, I should probably do some extracurricular activities so that when I apply, I stand out. At some point, you take the SAT or the ACT. And what is this? It's all, in some measure, one day to be accepted by an academic institution to get in. All that effort is for one thing. It's to build a record that's acceptable. And you see, that's what the Pharisee is doing. That's what the religious moralist does. They live a life in order to build a record to be accepted by God. And what's interesting, right? At the end of the day, the story ends with it not being good enough. We have to understand something here. That means sin goes deeper. Sin goes much deeper than the outside. Uh, Tim Keller puts it this way. Sin is not just breaking the rules. It is putting yourself in the place of God as Savior, Lord, and Judge. Let's put it this way. Actually, both the tax collector and the Pharisee all want the same thing. They just go about it in different ways. Ultimately, both of them want control of their life. So for the, for the, for the tax collector, they're going to say, I'm going to reject all outward constraints. I'm going to live how I want to live. I'm in control. I'm Lord of my life. For the Pharisee, why are they doing all these things? Why is the religious moralist doing all these disciplines, making all these choices? It's to stay in control. It's a way to have leverage over God. It's a way to say, listen, I'm living this way, and you owe me. You owe me a certain kind of life. And do you see the problem they both have? One is breaking all the rules, and one is keeping all the rules. And they're both, at the core, trying to be their own savior, their own judge, and their own Lord. In other words, to put it this way, this passage shows us 
that the world is not divided between the good and the bad. Those are actually false dichotomies. The world just is. In other words, if you're here this morning, Jesus is trying to show us that we are all sinners in need of being put right with God. Some of us look really good doing it. We keep all the rules. Others of us are a little bit nervous maybe being here this morning or listening online because we, re we, we recognize we are breaking all the rules. But regardless, in Jesus, in this parable, he's showing us we're all the same. We're all in the same boat. That's the heart of sin. But secondly, there's the symptoms of sin. You know, it's interesting. When you open this, this, this parable, in verse 9, Jesus directs this parable at someone. He directs it at those who trust in themselves that they were righteous and treated us with contempt. And the reason he does this is, you know, I mean, sometimes, let's be honest, when you read this, you can get frustrated at those who think they're better than others. But Jesus is doing this lovingly. He wants them to see their need. Listen, sin like this, like the Pharisee, is hard to see. You know, um, at our house, we have a carbon monoxide, you know, alarm or kit. Because why? Because it's an odorless gas that if you don't, you can't smell it, but it will do irreparable harm if you don't know it's there. Jesus is telling this parable so that those who deal with a religious moralism can be aware that this sin is actually at work in their life. There's, um, so let's do three things. Let, let's consider how that might be for us. Let, let's look in and let's look out and let's look up related to this, this passage. Uh, let's look in for a moment. Notice how the Pharisee, the prayer is all about himself. He says, thank you, God, that I am not like so-and-so. And then he uses I four more times. At the center of this person's life, the solar system of his life, he's at the center. Everything that he does from his spiritual disciplines to his ethical behavior is done out of a self-centered, ego-driven heart. Now, let me tell you what. I, I bet you most of us don't pray like this. We know a little bit better than that. But how about this? When was the last time someone was critical of you? Or how about this? The last time you were online and you saw someone critical of your view on something, how did you respond? You know, um, let me say this. Our natural response in those moments most frequently is to immediately defend ourselves, is it not? To move on the attack. And here's why. Because when that happens, let's be honest, that person or individual or situation is taking a shot at the record we are trying to build. You know, um, it's an attack of our ego. You know, there's a... Um, one pastor put it this way, you know, we don't, we don't notice body parts unless there's something wrong with them. So, so no one says like, my elbows are working great today. 
No one says that. No one, I just did, but you know, no one's going to do that tomorrow. The only time we do that is when they're actually not working. And that means something about our ego, right? It calls attention to itself every minute. But secondly, the symptoms of sin uh, also work outward towards others. Uh, the prayer is, God, I thank you that I'm not like these people. It's uh, self-righteousness. It's, uh, it's a sense of significance in having a superior something over someone. And that's why in verse 9, it takes note, you know, that, that these people treated others with contempt. It, it takes many different forms, but it's always a blatant disregard of others who you feel superior to. So there's, for example, there's the religious Pharisee. I disregard you because you aren't as virtuous and well-behaved as I am. There's even a grace Pharisee. I thank you. I disregard you because you aren't as kind, accepting, and inclusive as I am. There's a work Pharisee. I disregard you because you are not as hardworking as I am. There's a political Pharisee. I disregard you because your political party is reprehensible. There's a race Pharisee. I disregard you because of your color of your skin. There's a woke Pharisee. I disregard you because I have a superior moral awareness and am quicker and louder than you are. There's a class Pharisee. I disregard you because I, have, because I make more money than you. The question is... Who do you and I disregard? Who do you and I feel tempted to feel superior to? And one of the interesting parts of this, and we see this culturally right now in this moment, but notice how um, there's actually a distance separating the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee stands by himself. He's not anywhere near the tax collector. The tax collector removes himself as well. And one of the things that's notable here is there's, the, you know, the Pharisee no longer sees anybody through eyes with empathy. And we separate ourselves from the other. That so marks our current cultural moment. But then lastly, let's look up. You know, this entire thing is all marked by prayer. It's a very religious thing. But notice about the prayer. It begins with God, but then the rest of it, like we said, is about himself. In other words, you could kind of put it this way. In this person's life, they're on center stage, and God is somewhere in the cheap seats. It's very impersonal. So in an effort to build a record, to be acceptable to God or someone else, Sin shows itself in a me-centered world that compares and looks down at others in which God is a spectator with us on center stage. And Jesus lovingly is trying to disrupt us to the distortion, to what it does to us. So what's the antidote? What's the antidote to this? If we sense 
there's even a little bit of this at work in our own lives. Where do we go? Well, look at the end of verse 14. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. This is speaking of the tax collector. Rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. Uh, In short, the answer is humility. Um, It's interesting, and not just any kind of humility, it's the humility exemplified by the tax collector who says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What does that mean? Well, two things. Uh, when he prays, God be merciful to me, a sinner, firstly, it's simply this, is all you need is need. When the tax letter says, be merciful to me, a sinner, he knows his life does not measure up. He won't even look out and compare himself to anyone else. He's broken. He knows his life does not cut it. You know, there's a moment earlier in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus is hanging out with tax collectors and he gets criticized by the Pharisees. And Jesus says this in, verse, um, in chapter 531. He says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And Jesus is not saying that the Pharisees are not sick. He's rather saying, you don't realize how sick you are. If you knew you were sick, you would come to me. The antidote, the antidote to the sin is by admitting. Our record is shot. It does not add up. It is insufficient. But then secondly, notice what he does in light of that. He doesn't try to change himself. He doesn't say, I'm going to do better. He calls out to God. He says, God, be merciful to me. He's leaning into this character of God, that he's merciful, that he's kind, that he's willing to forgive, that he's willing to pardon, to give what we don't deserve. So there's a, there's a moment in um, Paul's epistle to the Romans where he's unpacking what happened on the cross. And he writes this in chapter 3, 21 through 22. Paul writes, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. And you remember that word, righteous. Um, Righteousness is a record. And it says in this passage that righteousness has been manifested. It's been revealed, but notice it's been revealed in Jesus. And what Paul is saying there is Jesus, he has lived a perfect life. He has perfectly obeyed the law. His record is spotless. He is acceptable to God. And what's remarkable about the gospel is verse 22 says, how do you get that record? It is by faith in Jesus. It's by trusting in Jesus and what he's provided So here's the difference. The antidote to sin, rather than building a record to be acceptable to God, it is receiving a record through faith in Christ. 
a couple years ago, um, Amanda and I were in Israel, my wife, and we, one of the places we got to go was the Church of the, of the Nativity. And it was one of my least favorite sites because it's the place where they say Jesus was born, but it's just filled with all this gaudy kind of, I don't know, it's just really weird. It's, it's not very fun. But the one part that was remarkable was how you entered. The main entrance was called the Door of Humility. And what it was was simply a door that was 2.3 feet wide and 4.3 feet high. That's how everyone had to enter. And I'm not short, right? Like, so, you know, you're just like this going in. And it was this physical reminder that if you want to get close to the Savior, you've got to get low. You cannot do it standing up. So let me put it this way. If you're not a Christian, let me call you to humble yourself. Admit your need. Trust God in his mercy provided by Jesus. And do you know what's remarkable? One of the points of this story um, is, is the fact that the tax collector of all people receives mercy. Do you know what that means? Everybody there knew what it meant. It was like, if that guy can get it, then I can get it. Some of us, we think wrongly that we are, be, we are beyond the reach of what God can meet us in his mercy. And this passage is showing us that's not the case. He will answer. He will answer you. To simply pray, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Do you, he will answer that prayer. You will go home justified, accepted by God, not because of what you have done, but because of the work of his son. If you're here this morning, you're a Christian. Let me put it this way. One of the great struggles of the Christian life is that we try to smuggle character into it. Sign one is you lack joy. You lack joy. Maybe sign number two is you look down on others. You begin to see it. You become critical of others. But the gospel of grace it actually stirs in humility. It, it has to be worked in. You know, one of the most evidences of this is the Apostle Paul. Um, it, in 56 AD, he wrote this to the church at Corinth. He said, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecute the church of God. Four years later, <clears throat> he writes to the, the letter to the Ephesians, and he says, this grace was given to me the least of all the saints to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ. And then two to three years after that, in 1 Timothy, he writes this, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. Do you see the progression? So he says, the least of the apostles, the least of the saints, and all of a sudden the chief of sinners. Does Paul have a self-esteem issue? No. He doesn't. He is growing in the grace of the gospel that actually produces deeper and deeper 
humility. In other words, some of us think that maturity in the, in the Christian life means about five years from now, I'm going to need less of Jesus. <laughs> when it's the very opposite. In other words, this gospel creates humility. It creates a humility that one understands in spite of the sin that you and I are accepted by God simply through faith in Christ and actually give us the confidence to be very frank about where we're wrong. Secondly, it creates a dynamic where as we look at others, listen, there is no pecking order at the foot of the cross. No one at the foot of the cross is looking down. And then thirdly, growing in the gospel, it just means God is no longer impersonal. He has met us at our greatest need, which means wherever you find yourself today, do you not understand that he is for you? That he is with you? That he loves you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, thank you for this news that you meet us in the midst of our sin. We pray that you'd be merciful to us, that you would help us to admit a distorted view of ourselves. Lord, some of us here think we are beyond the reach of your mercy. Give grace to those to draw near, knowing that you will not reject them. Father, others of us, we sometimes think we are, we are beyond the need of your mercy. Give us grace to see ourselves for who we are in need of your kindness. And in all of this, give us a fresh awareness of the width and the depth and the height and the length of the love that you have for us in the person and work of Jesus. Amen.